Trump launches his re-election campaign, the media can barely hold themselves back in fury, and AOC steps on a political landmine. Good news, the journalistic firefighters are there to save her. I'm Ben Shapiro, this is The Ben Shapiro Show. I'll admit it to you, I'm already tired from this news cycle. I mean, it's a Wednesday and it feels like it should be a Friday. Maybe that's because yesterday I discovered that my three-year-old son knows the word damn it. That happened, well, that, that happened during a swim lesson. He just looked up at his teacher and said, damn it. And I looked down and I said, ah, oh, damn it. <laughs> well, we'll get to all the actual news in just a second. But first, what if buying a house was like buying a timeshare? You show up with a herd of other people that also wanted the free gift. Then you're in a pressure cooker sales presentation for 90 minutes. Let's call it three hours. You don't have the opportunity to have your real estate agent professionally negotiate the price. No inspector to uncover hidden problems. No loan officer to explain every detail of the loan terms, interest rate, fees, payment schedule, total cost. Folks, you wouldn't buy a home this way. But that's exactly how the majority of timeshares are sold. I know because I've been in a timeshare presentation. They're really good at what they do. But this is really not a great way to buy anything remotely resembling a timeshare. It's pretty ridiculous. And if you're stuck in a timeshare, if you call the resort and they won't let you out, if you've tried selling it and you can't, call Timeshare Exit Team right now. They will fight for you. I trust them, and you can trust them as well. I've known them ever since I was doing a radio show in Seattle. I've seen them grow from a very small business into a fairly large business. Text Ben to 797979 for a free consultation. That is my name, Ben, B-E-N, into 797979. Message and data rates may apply. You can trust the folks at Timeshare Exit Team to fight for you when it comes to getting out of your timeshare. That's text Ben to 797979 for that free consultation with Timeshare Exit Team. Okay, so the big news yesterday was that the President of the United States announced his re-election campaign. Now, it was a foregone conclusion he was going to run for re-election, of course. We've had very few presidents who have decided not to run for re-election in the history of the United States. Obviously, LBJ in 1968 decided he wasn't going to run for re-election. He'd already been serving for five years by that point. And we've also seen folks like James Polk not run for re-election, Calvin Coolidge. But it's very rare for a sitting president to decide not to run for re-election. Trump obviously was never going to do that. The man is a fighter by nature. And so yesterday, he finally made the announcement. He brought out all of the Republican luminaries down to Orlando, Florida. And as I mentioned yesterday on my radio show, doing the rally in Orlando is a sign that, that Trump may think that Florida is in play, which makes sense. Florida is extraordinarily closely divided. If Trump loses Florida, he loses the election. There's been a lot of talk about Michigan and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania. But first things first, Trump does have to shore up Florida in the polling, he is running about even with Joe Biden right now. There's not a grave indicator for Trump that Florida is lost to him at this point. If it were, the election, as I say, would basically be over. He drew 20,000 people last night, 20,000 people, a stadium full of people. And the crowd was raucous. They were up. I mean, people were into it. President Trump still has it. I mean, he has that star power. There is just no question. And then he brought forth his conquered adversaries, like the Romans bringing back their enemies in chains. <laughs> One of the funny things about this rally was Trump bringing forth all of the senators who had previously said that they would never vote for him and that he was really terrible to pay homage to him. Everybody from Senator Lindsey Graham to Marco Rubio being trotted out to endorse the president for re-election because obviously he's the president of the United States. The rally got kicked off not with Trump, but with his vice president, Mike Pence, who will be running with him. All the speculation about Pence being dumped from the ticket in favor of somebody with a little bit more star power, that was never real. He was speaking at the Amway Center. Here was Mike Pence talking about illegal immigration and the fact that the Democrats are stumping against illegal immigration. This is going to continue to be a hot button issue for a huge number of Americans, particularly because Democrats are incredibly radical. And as we will see, their radical tendencies are leading them into a real into a real cavern here. I mean, it's, it's not going to go well for them on immigration so long as they are led by the radicals in their party like Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. We'll get to that in just a little bit. But here is Mike Pence making the strong case in favor of a, a secure border. We've supported Customs and Border Protection. We've stood by the courageous men and women of ICE. And thanks to the president's stand, Mexico has done more to secure our border in the last 10 days than the Democrats in Congress have done in the last 10 years. And obviously that is true. I mean, the fact is that even as Democrats complain about the conditions on the border, they have refused funding for ICE, for Border Patrol. They've refused funding for the Department of Homeland Security sufficient to allow people to be kept on the border. Okay, so Pence leads this thing off. The crowd, as I say, is really raucous. They are really up. Now, Trump's speech was effectively the same as every rally that he's done for the last several years. We now live in an era of consistent campaigning. There is no point at which the president is not campaigning for re-election, just as there is no point 
in a 24-7 news cycle at which a congressperson is not campaigning for re-election. This is true of Barack Obama, who never actually disbanded his 2008 campaign. He just sort of morphed it, and then he morphed it back into a campaign around 2012. And then that campaign was effectively handed over, at least in large part, to Hillary Clinton in 2016. The era of the consistent campaign, thanks to media coverage, is now. And so Donald Trump never stopped running, but he made his announcement official last night. He said he was officially running, and of course, the crowd goes wild. We're going to keep on fighting for every man and woman and child all across this land. With every ounce of heart and might and sweat and soul, we're going to keep making America great again. And then we will indeed keep America great. And we will keep it so great. Better than ever before. And that is why tonight I stand before you to officially launch my campaign for a second term as President of the United States. Okay, so they obviously you can hear the crowd very enthusiastic. And this is what Republicans are counting on, is that the polls are undercounting Trump voters or that perhaps the polls aren't taking account of the enthusiasm gap between Democrats and Republicans. Certainly, President Trump's campaign manager was saying exactly this, Brad Parscale, his campaign manager, said, you know, we don't need to pay attention to the polling. The polling is dead. Now, I think this is a, a bridge too far. I think that the, the odd circumstance by which the polling on the state levels was off dramatically in 2016, but the national polling was correct. I'm not sure that you can continue to bet the data will always be wrong, but apparently this is part of the campaign strategy. Here's Brad Parscale telling CBS News about this. The country's too complex now to just Explain what you mean. I, I just think the country's too complex now just to call a couple hundred people and ask them what they think. There are so many ways and different people that are going to show up to vote now. The way turnout now works, the abilities that we have to turn out voters it's not, it, the polling can't understand that. And that's why it was so wrong in 2016. Um, it was 100% wrong. Nobody got it right. Okay, well, the truth is that on the national level, actually, it was pretty good. In 2018, it was also pretty good. So, it, it, you know, for, for the Trump campaign to basically say polls don't matter, I understand this is all part of a campaign tactic in order to make sure that Trump's base is not depressed, that they think that this election is, is not only winnable, but winning for President Trump, even if the polls say otherwise, I'm not a fan of ignoring the data, even if the the long shot came in in 2016. That's basically what happened. Now, Nate Silver had it about a 70 to 30 shot Hillary Clinton was going to win. A 70 to 30 shot is not a 100 to zero shot. It means sometimes 30% of the time the underdog wins. And that's what happened in 2016. To kind of cast out all the data, I think is wrong. But I understand that it's part of a broader Trump campaign strategy, which is to get his own folks to ignore whatever polling data comes out in the somewhat justified belief that the polls were mistaken in 2016 and could easily be mistaken again. So President Trump's campaign is going to be launched on two bases. One is that the Democrats are really, really bad. And two is that his record is really good. Those should be the two bases. And then there's this third basis upon which he is launching the campaign that I think is not going to be fruitful fruitful for him. And that is that he is a victim. I don't think that presidents who proclaim that they are victims tend to win re-election very often. I think presidents who spend a lot of time complaining that everybody is mean to them look weak. And that is not something that the American people sympathize with very strongly. So when President Trump is on the attack against the Democrats, he's in good shape. When he's talking about his stellar economic record, for example, or his foreign policy record, which I think is overall very good, although I disagree with his North Korean policy in particular. I think he has a lot to brag about there. But when he gets into the woe is me kind of routine, yeah, that's red meat to the base, but it's not going to win over anybody in the middle who basically says you're president of the United States. Stop complaining, dude. So here's President Trump with line number one. The Democrats are extraordinarily radical and they want to destroy you and the country. Now, the media, of course, are going nuts over this. How could Trump say such a thing? Well, Barack Obama said things that were very much like this in 2012. There was the implication from Democrats consistently that Republicans wanted to grind the poor under their heel, that Republicans are terrible for the country, that they want old people and sick people to die. I mean, Bernie Sanders says this sort of stuff on a routine basis. I mean, right now, the Democrat, like right now, the Democrats are claiming that Donald Trump is setting up a Holocaust on the border. We'll get to that in just a bit. But Here's President Trump making the case that Democrats want to destroy you and the country. His case against Democratic radicalism will be a fruitful line of attack for him. The Democrats don't care about Russia. They only care about their own political power. But they are really going after you. That's what it's all about. They wanted to deny you the future that you demanded and the future that America deserves and that now America is getting 
radical Democrat opponents are driven by hatred, prejudice, and rage. They want to destroy you, and they want to destroy our country as we know it. Not acceptable. It's not going to happen. Well, this is the core of his pitch. The core of his pitch was always that there are motivated players inside the Democratic Party who want to see a fundamental sea change in the nature of the country, and that those people are focused on attacking the so-called deplorables. It's why Hillary Clinton's attack on the deplorables was a huge campaign error. There's been this burgeoning sense inside a large part of the country that Democrats sneer at a huge number of Americans, going all the way back to Barack Obama suggesting that people in the middle of the country were bitter clingers who were focused on gods and gun and xenophobia because they were poor and stupid. Going all the way back to then, there was this feeling that there is this huge culture gap. And Trump has taken advantage of that culture gap by saying to a lot of folks, well, listen, I respect you, but Democrats don't. I take you seriously, but Democrats don't. When you tell me that you have problems in your life, I take that seriously. Democrats claim that you are beneficiaries of white privilege. Democratic radicalism is Trump's best friend here. It is Trump's best friend. And Trump continues along those lines. He also suggests, look, the Democrats are socialists and they're openly proclaiming they're socialists and this isn't a socialist country. More than 120 Democrats in Congress have also signed up to support crazy Bernie Sanders' socialist government takeover of health care. They want to end Medicare as we know it and terminate the private health insurance of 180 million Americans who love their health insurance. America will never be a socialist country. Again, his attacks on Democrats are going to be a fruitful line of attack because Democrats don't know what to do with it. Many of them want to double down on this. And then some like Joe Biden don't know whether to double down or whether to run away from it. We'll get to Biden in just a second, who's experiencing another campaign gaffe. Again, I think his campaign is much weaker than advertised. We'll get to more of that in a second. First, I know a lot of folks, people of my generation, who have an enormous amount of student debt. That is not uncommon at all. And it can saddle you. It can really make your life miserable. Millennials have three times as much student debt as their parents which is a problem, but you can get your student loans right by refinancing those loans with SoFi. SoFi is the leading student loan refinancer in the United States. They've refinanced hundreds of thousands of student loans. It's fast, it's easy, it's all online. You can check your rate in two minutes and lock in a fixed low rate. This matters because you may be 10 years out of school and still have half a million dollars in debt and now you can't buy a house. You may need to refinance that debt. Refinance with SoFi because it could save you money. By lowering your interest rate or choosing one of SoFi's flexible terms, you could end up saving thousands of dollars. When you refinance your student loans with SoFi, you also get access to SoFi membership, giving you access to exclusive benefits to help you get ahead with your money, life, and career. Lock in that fixed low rate today at SoFi.com slash Ben. That's S-O-F-I.com slash Ben. SoFi Lending Corp. CFL number 6054612. Go check them out right now at SoFi.com slash Ben. And go check out what kind of low rates you can get on refinancing that student loan. That's SOFI.com slash Ben. Okay, so President Trump launched his first line of attack. Democrats are going to be terrible for the country, and they have a different vision. Fruitful line of attack. His second line of attack is, I've accomplished a lot of things. And he talked about the economy a little. He talked about that, but that's not really where Trump's heart lies. He's not talking about all of his accomplishments. His wall still, his, his heart still lies in the applause lines. One of the problems for President Trump as a campaigner is that President Trump really enjoys being in front of crowds. That is great as a performer. And basically, that's what Trump is, right? Trump is a performer. If you've ever been to one of his rallies or seen one of his his events, he's a stand-up comedian. He's a stand-up comedian who stands in front of large crowds and tells jokes and delivers applause lines. And so he goes back to sort of the tried and true old standards here. Here's a mashup of his various hits. Many times I said we would drain the swamp, and that's exactly what we're doing right now. We're draining the swamp. Just in case Hillary Clinton lost. Remember the insurance policy. And we are building the wall. We're going to have over 400 miles of wall built by the end of next year. It's moving rapidly. The chanting, lock her up. There was a point during this rally where the crowd started chanting, CNN sucks, at which point CNN actually cut away. It was amazing that the media are not biased in any way. They're not just trying to preserve themselves in any way. CNN, I mean, there's footage of it. President Trump starts talking. The crowd starts chanting, CNN sucks. And so CNN, in retaliation, cuts away from the president's reelect rally. The amount of press we have tonight 
reminds me of the Academy Awards before it went political and their ratings went down the tubes. Good. This was our chance to reclaim our government. All right, we've been watching the president kick off his reelection bid. He's been on stage for about six minutes. Within two minutes, he did talk about the economy, but within four minutes, it was attacks on the media. And so. that, that's unacceptable, according to CNN. We'll get to the media in just one second, their reaction to all of this. Now, as I say, Trump's third line of attack, so it's accomplishments, Democrats suck, and his third line of attack, which is, I'm a victim. And this is the one I don't think is going to be particularly fruitful for him. Republicans who claim that they are the victims generally don't do well, and it makes you unpopular. Hillary Clinton made herself deeply unpopular by suggesting that she was a target of a vast right-wing conspiracy. People who tend to claim victimhood at the highest level of politics, they don't tend to do great. Here was President Trump yesterday suggesting that while Hillary Clinton's deleted emails were not a big deal, if he deleted a love note to Melania Trump, he would be fair game. Can you imagine if I got a subpoena? Think of this. If I got a subpoena for emails, if I deleted one email like a love note to Melania, it's the electric chair for Trump. Okay, that, that, it's funny. It's also not going to be particularly fruitful. So the president needs to stick to the first two messages if he hopes to win re-election. Message number one, Democrats are going to take us in the wrong direction. Number two, I've, you may not like me personally, but I've taken you in the right direction. Your pocketbook looks good. We look better on foreign policy. Right, that is going to be his re-elect pitch. Okay, so the media reacts to all of this with astonishment. Astonishment. So Trump actually raised in the first day of his re-election, according to the RNC, he raked in nearly $25 million in campaign contributions, according to the chairwoman of the RNC. Ronna McDaniel wrote on Twitter that he had raised $24.8 million in less than 24 hours. By contrast, Joe Biden, since the launch of his campaign, has raised a total of $19.8 million. So Trump raised more in one day than Biden has in the course of his campaign. Now, obviously, that is not a complete apples-to-apples -apples comparison. The fact is that Trump is the nominee on the Republican side or will be the nominee on the Republican side, whereas there's a lot of Democratic money that is split among various contenders. Probably there's been some 50 to $60 million already split amongst the various Democratic contenders at this point. Still, that is a massive showing in the first day. According to Politico, if it represents a first day fundraising total for the campaign, that would nearly quadruple the $6.3 million that former VP Joe Biden raked in within his initial 24 hours as an announced 2020 White House contender. Chris Cuomo was astonished by the size of the crowd at Trump's rally, 20,000 people showing up. The media still don't understand that there are a lot of people who kind of like President Trump, that he in fact did win 63 million votes in the last election cycle, and that he is very popular with the base. He has 90% approval rating among the base. Here's Chris Cuomo. Can't believe it. So based on the capacity of the arena in Orlando and what we see from the seating, there's probably 20,000 people at this rally for the president tonight. And that is bigger than Democrats are getting so far, to be sure. Is the size of the rally suggestive of the 60 million plus votes needed to win the next presidential election? No, maybe not. But it has to mean something. That is, Democrats are playing these little clubs in Iowa and New Hampshire. Donald Trump is playing arenas. Okay, well, obviously that is true. CBS News was also reporting on the size of the crowd. They reported that people were coming all across America to watch Trump's reelect kickoff. There was a day-long festival there outside the arena where supporters of the president were, were gathered, and there were reports uh, as about this time last night that there were already a handful of people who had been waiting for hours to get a seat in the venue, a sign perhaps uh, of the sustained support for the president uh, there in central Florida. Okay, so the media are very nervous about President Trump, and their nervousness is coming out in the most radical possible way. They are, they are reverting to the Donald Trump is Hitler line. So Don Lemon, you know, along with Chris Cuomo, so two blocks of wood on TV, Don Lemon suggests that President Trump is just like Hitler in, in, in the sense that Hitler also had Jewish grandchildren, moved the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem, and was generally philo-Semitic. In that way, exactly like Hitler. Here, here's Don Lemon making this idiotic case. As an objective news anchor on CNN, he's so objective. He and Chris Cuomo, I mean, the, the level of objectivity is stunning. Think about the despicable people we've had in history. Okay, now I'm going to use an extreme example. Um, think about Hitler. Think about any of those people. Would you say 
that that person is allowed, or let's put it this way. If you could look back on in history, would you say, well, I'm so glad that that person was allowed a platform so that they could spread their hate and propaganda and lies? Or would you say it probably wasn't the right thing to do to spread that because you knew in the moment that that was a bad person and they were doing bad things. Not only were they hurting people, they were killing people. Okay, he was specifically talking about whether the network should be airing the speeches of the president of the United States he just compared to Hitler. Man, the journalism at CNN, I can't imagine why people at Trump rallies shout CNN sucks. Just can't imagine it. Why would they do such a thing? With journalism like that, just getting the journalism everywhere? I mean, it's just, it's incredible. It's, it's an incredible showing of objectivity and journalistic firefighting by our media establishment. And listen, they're just doing their jobs, guys. I mean, come on. They're just sitting there fact-checking President Trump in real time. They're just there ensuring that President Trump doesn't doesn't dissimulate. He doesn't, he doesn't lie. To, he doesn't dissemble to the American people. He, that's, that's what they have to make sure of. They, just, they, they will put little chirons at the bottom of his speeches saying that what he's saying is not true. They, they are making sure that the fact-checking is tuned up to 11. They're dispassionate arbiters of the truth who are standing up for the American people. That's what Jim Acosta says. And I believe Jim Acosta because Jim Acosta is a model citizen when it comes to journalism. Now, I know, I know. This is all incredibly stupid. I mean, members of the media overall despise President Trump. They despise Republicans. They despise conservatives. It oozes from their every pore. And if you don't believe me, all you have to do is watch their coverage for about 24 hours. That's it. All you have to do is watch their coverage for a grand total of approximately 24 hours and contrast their coverage of, say, a Democrat who says things that are untrue and stupid on a routine basis with their coverage of President Trump. Now, President Trump says a lot of things that are untrue and ridiculous, and I call him out on those things. When Democrats do it, the media treat it as though Democrats are just good-hearted people trying hard to do the right thing while President Trump is a Hitlerian liar. Case in point, AOC. We'll get to her in just one second. First, there are a lot of people who are trying to use your data and make money off of it. Basically, all the social media companies do is take your data and then make money off of it. Well, why shouldn't you control your data and make money off of it? Big Token is a new app. It lets you share data about yourself, your interests and your habits, and then you get paid for it. Right now, you share an enormous amount of information with tech companies. They make money off of it, so should you. This is where Big Token comes in. Here's how it works. First, you download the app and you sign up for a free Big Token account. Next, you complete actions to earn points. Actions include answering surveys, checking into locations, connecting your social accounts, and more. Then you can redeem your points for awards like cash and gift cards, or donate your earnings to charity. You choose what data you share with Big Token, and then you get paid for it. The surveys in the app will ask general questions about your demographics and lifestyle, and specific follow-up questions based on what you answered. You can also get more points for referring friends and family. Your data is always secure in Big Token. So if you want to start earning money for your data, go to the App Store or Google Play, search for Big Token, that's B-I-G-T-O-K-E-N, that is one word, download the app and sign up right now. Make sure to use my referral code Shapiro, again, Search Big Token in the App Store, Google Play, download the app. Use my referral code Shapiro to sign up, claim your data, and get paid for it as opposed to letting other people make money off your data. Okay, so speaking of the media's insane bias, all you have to do to detect the media's insane bias is follow how they treat the estimable AOC, intellectual heavyweight, woman with an IQ, I would say easily of 95. I mean, she is, she is just incredibly bright, incredibly facile, really in control of, of, her, of her knowledge. So yesterday, we commented on this briefly because it didn't seem like it required further comment, but apparently, according to the media, it does. AOC was doing an Instagram in which she compared detention of illegal immigrants at detention centers where they are fed and where they are housed and where they are kept pending an asylum trial. She compared that to concentration camps, and specifically, she compared it to Nazi concentration camps. Now, I know everybody's ignoring the actual text of what she said. Everybody's ignoring what she said. She drops the reference never again at the end of this clip. When you say never again, you are specifically making a reference to the Holocaust. But the media took various lines of attack to defend AOC. First, they claimed she wasn't talking about the Holocaust. Then she, they claimed, well, there are other concentration camps that aren't the Holocaust that she is talking about. Then they claimed, well, maybe it kind of is like the Holocaust after all. They're, they're basically trying everything they could do to spin AOC out of her own stupidity. I'm very much looking forward to seeing how far AOC can push this, honestly. I'm, I really would love to see AOC come out tomorrow and suggest that the earth is flat and watches the media explain that not only is she correct, that it's Donald Trump's fault. 
That's, that's where we are going here. So here's AOC's original comment. The United States is running concentration camps on our southern border. And that is exactly what they are. They are concentration camps. And um, if that doesn't bother you, I don't, I got, I like, we can have, okay, whatever. I wanna talk to the people that are concerned enough with humanity to say that we should not, that never again means something. Okay, she drops a never again reference because she's obviously talking about the Holocaust. Like, whatever. Um, yeah, like what? I'm so historically knowledgeable. Like, um, but I'm, when I'm, yeah, sure, sure. Okay, so then she tweets this out. Okay, just to be clear, she tweeted this out also. She tweeted, this administration has established concentration camps on the southern border of the United States for immigrants where they are being brutalized with dehumanizing conditions and dying. Okay, number one, the deaths that are happening at the border are not due to Border Patrol. Border Patrol is being delivered people who are very often in seriously sick conditions, and then they are doing their best to care for those people despite underfunding caused by Democrats who will not sign a check for additional beds and better conditions. Because what Democrats want to do is force bad headlines so that, so that Republicans and, and law enforcement will release people into the interior of the United States where they disappear and don't show up again. That is the goal. It's absolutely cynical and disgusting. AOC then tweets out, and for the shrieking Republicans who like, um, like, um, whatever, like, um, who don't know the difference, concentration camps are not the same as death camps. Oh, tell me, tell me, AOC. Tell me all about it. Drop some historical knowledge on me, AOC, about concentration camps and the Holocaust. She says concentration camps are considered by experts ooh, as the mass detention of civilians without trial. No, that is not what concentration camps are considered by experts. And when you put it in scare quotes, you might want to quote the expert you're talking about so we can dispute this. If, if all the concentration camps were or detention of civilians without trial, you know what we would call those? Jails. That's what jails are. When you arrest somebody and you don't try them and you hold them in jail pending a trial, are those concentration camps? I assume that maybe she would say yes because she's a crazy person. She also says that's exactly what this administration is doing. Okay, so first, you'll see, the media tried to claim that she didn't mean what she said. Obviously, she's not. Obvious. How could you guys say that she's talking about the Holocaust? I mean, sure, she used never again, but she's not talking about that. When she says concentration camps, she means camps where people concentrate, like where they sit there and stare at things or where they drink juice made from concentrate. Probably that's what she's talking about. Now, anyone who watches this knows precisely what she is talking about, but that is no good. Apparently, according to Brian Stelter at CNN, journalistic ombudsman of CNN, he claims that the MSNBC viewers who watch this knew she wasn't talking about the Holocaust. Weird, because half the media are claiming that she was and that she's right. And the other half are claiming that she wasn't. So which is it, guys? So hilariously enough, Yad Vashem, the Holocaust Memorial Museum, had to sound off on this. Okay? And they tweeted out, AOC, concentration camps assured a slave labor supply to help in the Nazi war effort, even as the brutality of life inside the camps helped assure the ultimate goal of extermination through labor. Learn about concentration camps. Hashtag Holocaust. Hashtag history. When you're getting subtweeted, not subtweeted, actually tweeted by Yad Vashem about the history of the Holocaust, not great. And then the acting ICE director comes out and he says, this is absurd because, of course, this is absurd. The congresswoman has accused this agency and particularly this department of housing people, of housing migrants in what she calls concentration camps. Do you think that's an inappropriate comparison for the congresswoman to make? It's completely inappropriate. It's reckless. It's irresponsible. It's misinformed. And it's flat out wrong. And of course, that is 100% true. Liz Cheney jumped in as well, one of the high-ranking House members for the Republican Party. She jumped in. She said, please, EOC, do us all a favor and spend just a few minutes learning some actual history. Six million Jews were exterminated in the Holocaust. You demean their memory and disgrace yourself with comments like this. And number one, I would like to point out here that the exact same people who are defending the comparison between detention camps at the southern border, detention centers at the southern border, and concentration camps from the Holocaust, side with Iran and Hamas and want to boycott the state of Israel. So when we're talking about the actual extermination of Jews, they're like, ah, well, whatever. And when it comes to, you know, people being temporarily held because they're trying to get into the country illegally, then it's like, oh, that's just like the Holocaust, guys. Talk about trivializing the Holocaust, that would be it. And it's amazing the lengths to which people will go to spin this thing. So somebody pointed out yesterday, you know, one of the differences between the detention centers at the border and the Holocaust and concentration camps generally is that usually concentration camps don't involve people trying to get into the country. 
The Jews were not fleeing to get into Germany. And then the Germans were like, ah, look at all these illegal immigrants. We better jail them. Pending trial. Mostly the Jews were trying to get out because they were being slaughtered and exterminated. Well, my favorite part of this is that AOC then comes up with another line of attack. It's so funny. She comes up with these various lines of attack and Democrats have to shift on the move to defend her because they're so stupid. I mean, what she says is so dumb. So she then tweets out, Liz Cheney says, you know, when you're talking about concentration camps, lots of Jews got exterminated. Here's AOC's, no, no, we need the, we need the extermination. The, the 19 is what we need here. AOC then tweets out, she tweets out that it is just very, very bad that Liz Cheney used the term extermination. She says, maybe you should learn history. Using Nazi terms like extermination is really bad. You can't do that. Um, Yad Vashem just used the term extermination because that's part of history. Here is, here is AOC responding to Liz Cheney. She used the term extermination, which is co-opting the language of that. You know, that term implies that the people who died in the Holocaust, it, it, it doubles down on the rhetoric that justified it. And so I think it's, uh, I mean, I think she's the one that needs to do her homework. Um, 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 well, that's a thing a human being said. It is, I will say, she, she can perform incredible feats, AOC. Like, it, it, is, it is incredible to me that a human being can shove her head so far up her ass that it comes out her head again. And yet she apparently does it every day, and then the media cheer her on like seals. It's amazing. It's amazing stuff. Get to more of this in just one second. You wonder why folks don't trust the media? Maybe it's because they are fact-checking Hitler, Trump in real time, but AOC is the beloved of the media. As you will see, CNN, which declared Trump Hitler, also says that AOC, who is trivializing the Holocaust, which is what she is doing here because she's an ignorant moron, that that is actually not trivializing. She's a hero. We'll get to that in just a second. First, we're never going to agree on everything, but we can all agree that we could use more sleep. Getting a great night's sleep, it's easier and more affordable than you think. Now, you may think that you need a new mattress or sleeping pills or some other fancy-schmancy thing. Instead, what you really need is to change the sheets. That's why you should check out Bowl & Branch. Everything Bowl & Branch makes, from bedding to blankets, is made from pure 100% organic cotton. It means they start out super soft, and they get even softer over time. You buy directly from them, so you're essentially paying wholesale prices. Luxury sheets can cost up to 1000 bucks in the store. Bowl & Branch sheets are only a couple of hundred bucks. Everyone who tries Bowl & Branch sheets loves them. Shipping is free. You can try them for 30 nights. If you don't love them, send them back for a refund. But... You're not going to want to send them back. There's no risk, no reason not to give them a try. My wife and I have Bowl & Branch sheets. They are spectacular. They're so good, in fact, that I can't even sleep on anything that's not Bowl & Branch at this point. It basically ruined other sheets for me. To get you started, right now, my listeners get 50 bucks off your first set of sheets at bowlandbranch.com, promo code Ben. Go to bowlandbranch.com today for 50 bucks off your first set of sheets. That's B-O-L-L and branch.com, promo code Ben, bowlandbranch.com, promo code Ben. Okay, in just a second, we'll get to more on AOC and her absolute ignorance and the media's willing, eager defense of her. Okay, in, in the words of, of some famous Twitter people, guys, she's not going to date you. Okay, but we'll, we'll get to that in just one second. First, let me remind you, we are taking our backstage live show on the road for a very special one-night-only event, August 21st at the Terrace Theater in Long Beach, California. That is correct. I, the God King Jeremy Boring, Andrew Clavin, Michael Knowles for some reason, even more important than Knowles, the Daily Wire merchandise table will be there live. I mean, the table won't be alive. It'll be dead. But we will be there live, except for Knowles, hopefully. We'll talk politics, pop culture, and my favorite part, answer your questions live from the audience, which is always the best part. Plus, people will be pontifical. They'll smoke cigars and be genuine asses. Tickets go on sale to the public this Friday. But today through Thursday, only Daily Wire subscribers get exclusive pre-sale ticket access, which is one of the reasons you should subscribe. Become a subscriber. Get your tickets today. Come join us for a fantastic event or at least a mediocre event I'm forced to be at. So... Come join us, <laughs> become a subscriber, and at least hang out with me, guys. I mean, if I have to be there, at least give me some company other than these guys who I see every day. I mean, seriously. Yeah, also, you should subscribe because there's all sorts of goodies. Two hours additionally every afternoon. We have all sorts of goodies behind the paywall. For 99 bucks a year, you get this, the very greatest in beverage vessels, the leftist tears, hot or cold tumbler, which is just like a concentration camp, according to AOC because it's a tumbler that holds things. So you should probably go check that out as well. $99 a year, you get all of those glories. Also, you're helping us out. The fact is that the militant left is interested in shutting down all debate and deplatforming everyone. You help us protect against that by becoming part of the team. Please join us over at dailywire.com. We are the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation.
Alrighty, so it wasn't just Yad Vashem which sounded off and told AOC that she is wrong. It was also the JCRC of New York, which is the, con- the central coordinating and resource body for 60 plus Jewish organizations in the New York metro area. They wrote a letter to her yesterday saying, we are deeply disturbed by the language used in your recent Instagram live video, which seeks to equate the detention centers on America's southern border with Nazi era concentration camps. The terms concentration camp and never again are synonymous with and evocative of the atrocities committed by Adolf Hitler's Nazi Germany, in which six million European Jews were systematically denied civil and human rights due to their race and ultimately murdered in a state-sponsored genocide. As concerned as we are about the conditions experienced by migrants seeking asylum in the United States, including family separation, unusable facilities and lack of food, water and medical resources, the regrettable use of Holocaust terminology to describe these contemporary concerns diminishes the evil intent of the Nazis to eradicate the Jewish people. We urge you to refrain from using terminology evocative of the Holocaust to voice concerns about contemporary political issues. This is, by the way, a nonpartisan Jewish group that includes a bunch, a bunch of liberals in it. Okay, and that didn't stop the media. The media came out in full-scale defense of the idiocy of AOC. Kevin Cruz, Twitter's favorite historian over at Princeton, he started tweeting out in her defense. He says, we associate the Holocaust with death camps like Auschwitz, but those didn't come out of nowhere. Concentration camps like Dachau had been around since 1933, setting the principle that Auschwitz then built upon. So to prevent another Auschwitz, protest another Dachau. Okay, so now Cruz is comparing detention centers at the border for illegal immigrants trying to enter the country pending trial to Dachau, which was, I mean, again, the level of historical ignorance from this supposed historian is astonishing. Dachau was supposedly a home for German citizens who were dissenters. It was made a political, it was made a political detention center for political enemies of the Nazi regime as early as 1933. To compare that to what happened at the border is insane. It's insane. Hey, but this is what, but he's, don't worry, he's a historian, guys. Chris Hayes, Chris Hayes of MSNBC tweets out, if you spend a few minutes learning some actual history, you will find out that concentration camps are different from death camps and have a history that both predates and extends far past the Nazis, which is, of course, why AOC used the term never again, which is a Holocaust-specific term. I'm sure that, I'm sure she was talking about the Boer War. Really, she's an expert on the Transvaal. She's, she's an expert, AOC is, on the internecine warfare between the British Empire and the attempted South African Republic. And all it goes back to the Boer War, guys. That's really, Chris Hayes is right on it, guys. That's what she's talking about. That's what she's talking about. Then Jerry Nadler gets involved, the Democratic New York congressperson. He says, one of the lessons from the Holocaust is never again, not only to mass murder, but also to the dehumanization of people, violations of basic rights, and assaults on our common morality. We fail to learn that lesson when we don't call out such inhumanity right in front of us. So I feel like Nadler here is losing the thread. So you got Kevin Cruz and Chris Hayes making the case she wasn't talking about the Holocaust and wasn't talking about Nazi concentration camps. And then Nadler is saying, no, 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 she was talking about it, but it is like the Holocaust. You're going to have to pick a lane, guys. Was she was she misappropriating the Holocaust because she's adult or was she exactly correct? And Trump is actually incipient Hitler. Pick one. And Chris Cuomo picked a side. He says Trump is incipient Hitler. This is an amazing. (laughs) So Chris Cuomo, again, brilliant, objective news anchor. Yesterday on CNN, he claims that concentration camps has no Nazi connotations. I'll be honest, I did not see that coming. But he says concentration camps have no Nazi connotations at all. Mm -hmm. But you know what does have a Nazi connotation? America first. So Donald Trump saying America first is just like the Nazis. But concentration camps is not a reference to the Nazis. So he's calling Trump a Nazi while saying that AOC was not calling Trump a Nazi because concentration camps have nothing to do with the Nazis. Okay, makes sense. If you're crazy, here's Chris Cuomo on CNN. I say concentration camps because that's how they are defined internationally. That's what these are. I am not uh, equating with stigma of the Nazis and the Jews. Leave that part aside. We all know what the connotation of concentration camps is. If we went out on the street and asked 100 random people, Mm. 99 of them would tell us, uh, would give us an explanation or a definition that relates to Nazism. She used the phrase never again, which we know is specifically linked to the Holocaust, to the Shoah. And that is disgraceful. AOC should apologize at the least and probably resign. One point of pushback before I get to you, Angela. You did not have similar problems with the phrase America first, which is equally stained, mm-hmm. or the word nationalist, no. which is Holy equally crap. stained. No, Holy yes, crap. Fact. The word nationalism is equally stained with Nazism? Truly? 
Nationalism is equally... Do you know how historically ignorant you have to be to believe that? Seriously? Nationalism, or the phrase America first, is equally stained with Nazism as concentration camps? Oh, our, our, our media. Guys, I understand that you're, you're getting those massage oils ready. I understand that you, you desperately want to, to carry the drool cup for AOC. But my God, you wonder why your credibility is in the toilet? Maybe it's because you will bend yourself into pretzels that make the pretzel companies jealous in order to achieve the justification for AOC's stupidity. I, I just, I, honestly, I'm looking forward to seeing what other stupid crap AOC can say that you guys will defend. Because apparently you guys will go all the way down this rabbit hole. Every inch of the way. It is unbelievable. Unbelievable. You keep doing this. It's, it's it great. It is, by the way, I will note also that AOC doubled down today. She changed her metaphor. Now it's no longer Nazi concentration camps. Now it's just like Japanese internment. So now we're going to get the Twitter historians today explaining that holding people who are illegally crossing the border pending a trial and pending an asylum that may let them become citizens or that may deport them to their home countries is just like interning Japanese-American citizens of the United States without trial for years on end during World War II, which, by the way, was done by Bernie Sanders' hero, FDR. It's exactly the same thing. <sighs> okay. Meanwhile, the Democrats are trying to counter all of this with, with Joe Biden. So <laughs> it's chaos on that side of the aisle. You know, Donald Trump is not a popular man. Okay, just by poll data, Donald Trump is not popular. But I'll tell you what's not going to help you. The media chasing AOC like a desperate fan craving attention on the one hand and Joe Biden on the other hand. So Joe Biden has himself in trouble again today because it is a day ending in Y. He did a campaign riff yesterday, apparently, when he was in the Senate. He talked about when he was in the Senate. He said that he would occasionally cut deals with segregationists. He said, I was in a caucus with James O. Eastland. And then he launched into a nostalgic riff about the good old days when senators could argue with each other, but still compromise. And this is driving people up a wall because what he said is, yeah, there were some bad people, but we still came to compromises. And that's what the Senate is all about. You are not allowed to say these things. You're not allowed to say them. And people are rightly or wrongly going after Biden on this basis. People pointing out that the folks that he is talking about cutting deals with were some of the worst segregationists in American history. And he, Biden is just going to keep stepping in it and stepping in it because ste he doesn't know where the lines are because the lines keep moving on him. It is pretty amazing. Jonathan Chait over at New York Magazine has a long piece about this. He says, at first blush, Biden's segregationist riff is disturbing. When you poke below the surface, it gets even more disturbing. It suggests he has not grasped any of the tectonic changes in American politics and that he is equipped neither for the campaign nor the presidency. He says, American politics has grown more polarized because the unusual and precarious conditions of the 20th century have disappeared. Politics in the 19th century was deeply polarized around linked issues of race and big government. But after Reconstruction was crushed, the Republican Party abandoned its commitment to African-American equality and activist government, while the Democratic Party eventually adopted those identities. Weird, because the Democrats, after Reconstruction, were still the dominant party in the South, so that's not historically true. But he talks about how, basically, Mitch McConnell and the Republicans are the root of all evil and represent the segregationists today, and Joe Biden is still trying to make deals with them, and this is the big part of the problem. So Biden is not going to be let off the hook. His sort of charming old codger stuff is not going to be of much use to him in this whole fight. He's going to be attacked mercilessly by the other Democrats and by the media, who, by the way, are beginning to notice. It's amazing how conveniently the, no the, the media notice things. It's, it's pretty incredible. So the media only notice that Joe Biden happens to be a habitual liar occasionally. So when he's running for president in like 1988, and then not for eight years when he was vice president, but now again, they're beginning to notice that Joe Biden makes things up, prevaricates an enormous amount, and that he says dumb things repeatedly. By the way, here's what Biden said. He said, I was in a caucus with James O. Eastland. He never called me boy. He always called me son. He said that, that there was another senator named Talmadge who was a segregationist. That would be Herman Talmadge of Georgia. He said, Talmadge was one of the meanest guys I ever knew. You go down a list of all the guys. Well, guess what? At least there was some civility. We got things done. We didn't agree on much of anything. We got things done. We got it finished. But today you look at the other side and you're the enemy, not the opposition, the enemy. We don't talk to each other anymore. Okay, and this apparently is Joe Biden being too easy on segregationists, despite the fact that he said he didn't agree with the segregationists, but that in the Senate you make deals. This is not good for the Democratic Party. And the New York Times comes after him on that basis. We are also going to see the New York Times come after him on the basis of the fact that he tells stories that are not true. 
Joe Biden makes up fish stories routinely. It's pretty amazing, actually. Here is one of the fish stories that he just uh, that that he told in 1989, for example. Biden wrote about this in in 1989. He says that he moved into the office of an old senator named Stennis, who's a segregationist. And here is here is Biden's story. He walked in and, and Stennis said, you see this table, Joe? This table was the flagship of the Confederacy from 1954 to 1968. We sat here, most of us from the Deep South, the old Confederacy, and we planned the demise of the civil rights movement, and we lost. And Joe, now it's time that this table go from the possession of a man who is against civil rights to a man who is for civil rights. The civil rights movement did more to free the white men than the black men, Stennis said, according to Biden. He could see me looking at him confused, and he pounded on his chest and said, it freed my soul. Does anyone actually believe that this happened? Okay, none, this never happened. And this is, <laughs> he tells these kind of stories all the time, does Joe Biden. Here's another story that Joe Biden tells because he is a, a habitual liar. <laughs> this, is, this is the funny thing. And people are like, oh, Joe Biden, that's an honest man. No, Joe Biden, in a debate, in an open debate for the vice presidency in 2012, suggested that NATO had kicked Hezbollah out of Lebanon. Hezbollah never left Lebanon. It, it, Paul Ryan didn't know enough to call him on it, but I remember sitting there watching the debate going, that's not even close to true. Here's my favorite Joe Biden story. This is brought to you, by the way, courtesy of Alex Griswold, who writes over at the, uh, at the Washington Examiner, I believe. Uh, and it's, it's uh, sorry, the Washington Free Beacon. Here is a story that Joe Biden told recently. He said, my dad was on his way to a job in the morning. And this, if you know anything about my city of Wilmington, there's a place called Rodney Square. And the buildings surrounding Rodney Square were the DuPont Company, the Hercules Corporation, which was big then, the ICI Americas, and so there were a lot of plain gray suits. And an awful lot of, at 8 a.m. in the morning, an awful lot of men and women hustling off to work. And we were stopped at the light. Two men on the right, very well-dressed men, obviously, business people who working for either Hercules or DuPont turned and embraced one another and kissed each other. And they went their separate ways. I'll never forget. I turned and looked at my dad, just looked at him. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, Joey, they love each other. It's simple. They love each other. It's simple. That's what this has been about all from the beginning. Um, so Biden was 17 in 1959. So according to Joe Biden, in 1959, he was driving through downtown Wilmington and saw two male businessmen kissing each other in the business district in full view of everyone in a state where homosexuality was illegal. And his Irish Catholic dad, media writes about this, who was born in 1917, saw the two men kissing and turned to his son and said, Joey, they love each other. If you believe this story, this is because you are dumb. Okay, Joe Biden tells these sorts of stories all the time. He's going to fall apart. He's going to blow up on the launch pad, but not because he's dishonest. He's been dishonest for a long time. He's going to blow up on the launch pad because the media are going to start treating him the way they treat Trump. There's only two types of treatment from the media. There's the AOC treatment and there's the Trump treatment. He's going to receive the Trump treatment. The media have decided they're not interested in the Joe Biden presidency, and so they are going to tear him down. Up until the point he becomes the nominee, if he survives that long, at which point he will get the AOC treatment. That's the way this is going to go. And then people wonder why we don't trust the media. Okay, time for some things I like and then some things that I hate. So, things that I like. There is a movie that is actually quite good on Netflix. You sort of have to have the ending explained to you, so I won't spoil it for you. But the, the movie is called I Am Mother. I am a sucker for sci-fi. I really like sci-fi. And the basic premise of the movie is that there is a robot in the future that is raising a baby in a condition in which all of humanity has died out. So this is in a bunker. And then a human knocks on the door, basically, and what happens next. The whole thing is obviously supposed to be metaphorical, and the ending is not properly spelled out. You actually have to read about what the ending was about to get what the ending was, and then you're like, oh, that makes sense. But here's a little bit of the preview. It is well acted. It is uh, Rose Byrne, who does the voice of the robot, is terrific. Here's a, here's a little bit of the preview. Why aren't there any more children, Mother? There used to be. Then why did you only make one? Mothers need time to learn. This facility was designed to give humanity a second chance. One that began with you. Daughter. The path will not be easy. The world outside is lifeless. But I made you into the woman that you are so that we could do this together. Okay, so unintentionally, this is one of the most pro-life movies ever. Unintentionally, like completely unintentionally. They, there are a bunch of fetuses 
and embryos that are that are in early stage development. And there is an entire the, the opening sequence shows the robot taking a an embryo and then putting it in an artificial womb and it growing. There is no way to look at that and not say that this is a human life. There's just no way to do that. They didn't mean to do this, I think, when they made the movie, because no one in Hollywood would ever mean to do this. But there's a whole debate over. I mean, the the girl basically at one point turns to the other human and says, I need to go save my brothers and sisters. And they haven't been born yet. I mean, from the images, they're probably 10 weeks old, maybe nine weeks old. Unintentionally, it's a supremely pro-life movie. If they found out about this, they'd probably pull the movie. It is that pro-life. But go check it out. I am mother. And, uh, and then go read up on the ending because the ending does make a lot of sense, but only when it's explained to you, which means they should have written it a little differently. You know, you shouldn't have to have endings explained to you. But in any case, go check it out. It's really good. And honestly, well done, Netflix. Okay, time for some things that I hate. So a couple of things that I hate today. So we begin with slavery reparations. So the House Democrats are going to hold another one of these, these showpiece routines where they bring in Ta-Nehisi Coates and Danny Glover to talk about slavery reparations. Now, Ta-Nehisi Coates has written this essay about slavery reparations. I've gone through it on the show before. It is wildly overpraised. Basically, it just talks about how much black people have suffered thanks to slavery. 100% true. All of that is true. Also, he's provided no workable framework for reparations. Who should receive? Who should give? What should the cutoff be? How exactly should all of this work? How much do people who are not involved in slavery owe people who are also not slaves and haven't had ancestors who were slaves for about 150 years. Right, what, how does this work? House Democrats are going to hold a hearing on this, and it will basically be anybody who opposes slavery reparations is racist. How do we know this? Because Mitch McConnell was asked about reparations. Here's what the Senate Majority Leader had to say. Yeah, I, I don't think reparations for something that happened 150 years ago for whom none of us currently living are responsible is a good idea. Uh, we've, you know, tried to deal with our original sin of slavery by fighting a civil war, by passing uh, landmark civil rights legislation. Uh, we've elected an African-American president. First of all, it'd be pretty hard to figure out who to compensate. We've had waves of immigrants as well who've come to the country and experienced dramatic uh, uh, discrimination of one kind or another. So no, I don't think reparations are a good idea. Okay, so he says that. That's a reasonable point of view. That is a very reasonable point of view. Here's how Don Lemon characterizes it on CNN. Maybe you should give back some of your wealth. Maybe you should give back your grandfather's college degree. Maybe you should give back your great-great-grandfather's land that uh, you were given and, you know, on and on and on. Uh, yeah, people weren't there, but people reaped the benefits from it. And that is the whole point of the matter. And social programs are not reparations. He is conflating the two and, again, misleading the American people, as has so often been done, especially within the last couple of years. His argument is simple-minded. It's stupid. Um, I would say it's, it comes from a position of privilege and probably one of bigotry as well. Oh, it's pro- so he's a racist. So if you, if you say that slavery reparations is unworkable and that, you know, an immigrant, like an Asian immigrant, shouldn't pay slavery reparations to perhaps Kamala Harris, who does not have ancestors who were slaves, that, that that is apparently racist now. And Don Lemon definitely, definitely deserves reparations because Don Lemon makes, what, $3 million a year? Something like that? So uh, clearly, the poor white guy in Appalachia should be paying reparations to Don Lemon for the fact that 150 years ago, Don Lemon's great-great-great-great-great-grandfather might have been enslaved by somebody who once knew the great-great-great-great-great-great-grand-uncle of the guy in Appalachia. I mean... The, Reparations is unworkable. Everybody knows it. And everybody knows that this is a talking point that is specifically designed to generate controversy, not to help heal old wounds. Nobody has yet come up with a workable framework or an explanation of what this would look like. And asking those questions is now considered racist. Why? Because this is a narrative the media wishes to draw. Now, speaking of narratives that the media wishes to draw, it is amazing how these values are crammed down on the American citizenry. So there is a a teacher who, was recent, who recently kicked a student out of class for insisting that there were only two genders. That really, this is a thing that happened. So the, the teacher was talking specifically about biological sex, and the student said there are only two sexes, male and female, which is true. There are intersex people, but there are only two actual sexes, male and female, biologically speaking. Intersex people exist, but this does not obliterate the categories of male and female. Okay, so the student says this, and the teacher immediately expels the kid from class while acknowledging openly that what he is saying is utterly ascientific. 
there are more than one gender in well, this country. That's Bible. your opinion. That is my opinion, and that is an opinion which is acceptable in the school. I'm afraid yours, which you're saying that there's no such thing as anyone other than male or female, is not inclusive. there are just two genders, depending on what I get, I get gender that. You, you are choosing to make an issue of this, because I said, are you really going to do it? That was your opportunity to, 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 to keep quiet. Not in the so school. you get to put your opinion out in class, and my no, opinion. No, I, I am not. My opinion my, has to stay I am inside not my house. putting my opinion. I am not putting my opinion out. I am stating what is national school authority policy. Okay, and then the student says it's not scientific whatsoever, and the teacher concludes, "Not every policy is scientific, Murray." <laughs> oh, this is good. Well, here's what happens when policy is not based on science or anything else. By the way, this happened, I believe. Uh, in Scotland. So this is not happening in um, in the United States yet. Okay, so here is what you end up with. You end up with this bizarre argument that sex does not exist. And if sex does not exist, then no such thing exists as straight or gay or sexual preference or anything like that. And this leads to the inherent absurdity of the piece I'm about to bring you from psychology today. Karen Blair writing, Professor Karen Blair. Are you ready for this? Because you're going to have to put on your confusing your confused hat on, because this is, this, is, this is deeply confusing. You'll see why. The article is called, Are Trans People Excluded from the World of Dating? New research explores the extent to which trans people are excluded from dating. So basically, this professor and colleagues published some findings to a survey question of who would you date? The, studies, the, the findings were published in the Journal of Social and Personal Relationships. According to the piece, our results indicated that 87.5% of the participants who are asked this very question only checked off the cisgender options, meaning a person who believes that their gender corresponds to their sex, meaning you're female and you think you're a female, excluded transgender and non-binary individuals from their hypothetical dating pool. This apparently is responsible for the suffering of the transgender community. It is not, in fact, that gender dysphoria is a mental condition that leads to depression and is heavily linked with it. It must be societal discrimination and cruelty. And what the article basically purports to say is that you are, in fact, a sexist if you will not date a transgender person. So they say, while only a very small minority of cisgender heterosexual individuals were willing to date a trans person, a much greater percentage of individuals who identified as bisexual or queer provided inclusive responses. Now listen to this take. One reason for this may be that individuals with queer or bisexual sexual orientations are already looking beyond gender in many ways when selecting a person to date. Well, I have another alternative to this idiotic take. Here's the alternative. If you're a cisgender heterosexual, if you're a man who thinks you're a man and you're heterosexual, you would like to have sex with biological women. And if you present me with a biological man who says he is a woman, I will not be attracted to that person because I am a heterosexual man who's attracted to physical women, to actual biological women. Whereas if you are bisexual, you don't care, do you? Because you're attracted to both sexes. So it's not that cisgender heterosexual individuals are bigots. It's that they are attracted to exactly the people they say they are attracted to. And that's not bigotry. That's called human evolution and biology, which has led to the progeneration of the species. But we're so stupid now that we have reached a point where if you are a man who is straight and you say you will not date a biological man who says he is a woman, then this makes you gay or bisexual, right? Because the biological man who says he is a woman is actually a woman, according to the left. So if Bob over there, the 300 hairy guy, 300 pound hairy dude, if that guy says he's actually Cecile and you're like, no, nah, you know, not interested. Why are you're gay, man? You're gay. If you're not into Bob, you're gay because Bob is actually Cecile, even though he's 300 pounds hairy and has a penis. You are an, you are now you are gay. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you this. If you don't sleep with that physical dude, you are a gay man. <laughs> Because he's actually a woman. Okay, this is what happens when you conflate gender. Uh, this is what happens when you separate gender from sex and say they are absolutely malleable. Sex is not gender. You can identify however you want. And then you merge them back in. And you say, no, sex is actually gender. So this is what happens when you say you can be a biological man who, and your gender is a woman. But also trans women are real women. If by real, you mean like biological. If by real, you mean should be treated like a woman in every aspect of life then you are saying something so radically incoherent that you end up with the bizarre result that if you are a homosexual man who will not sleep with a woman who says she is a man, this is because you are gay. What? Now, this is because you are straight, actually. So, if you, so again, to take the counter example, you're a gay man. You only want to have sex with dudes. 
and here's a chick. And she says, hey, I'm a man. And she has all the lady parts. And you're like, well, you know, not really into that because like I'm into dudes. And then, and, and she says, no, no, but I am a dude. You're like, no, but you don't, you, not like biologically, bigot. Not only are you a bigot, you are straight secretly. You're straight. If you don't want to have sex with a woman and you're a man, it's because you're straight by this perverse logic. We are so disconnected from anything remotely approaching reality at this point that there is no way for us to even have basic conversations. If words just have no meanings, this is how you get to where we are. And it's absurd in the extreme. Okay, well, we'll be back here a little bit later today with two additional hours of content, plenty more to talk about. Plus, we'll be back here tomorrow. As always, I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Robert Sterling, directed by Mike Joyner, executive producer, Jeremy Boring, senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover, and our technical producer is Austin Stevens, edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. Production assistant, Nick Sheehan. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. Hey, everybody, it's Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. Alexandria Occasional Cortex says arresting illegal immigrants is like the Holocaust because she's an ignoramus. But there is someone partying just like it's 1938. And guess what? It's not President the Donald. I'll talk about it on The Andrew Claven Show. I'm Andrew Claven. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 